morning. We're reading from Matthew chapter 20 this morning. Uh, you can find it if you want to in one of the church Bibles on page 988. Otherwise it's on your service sheet. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Pads asked me to do this um, talk a little while ago, and uh, I was quite humbled to be asked, to be honest. I can do quite a lot of um, public speaking in my job, um, and to big audiences as well. I'm regarded as an expert within my field, um, but actually I'm extremely nervous about today. So, we're looking at Matthew 20, 2028, as you just heard from Gwen, so thank you for that. So, uh, we, we all serve the Lord in, in one way or the other. Here at church, we, we help out to um, make the church service run smoothly. We, we help out with the tea and the coffee. Um, we make cakes and bring biscuits. And we've already heard that there's a lot of people within this church that do something much more public, like the, the street pastors at Reading Festival. And it's not just Reading Festival either, they're out quite a lot at the weekends. The followers of Jesus, um, they were very much alongside him in his ministry. But then right at the end, they seem to have got it a little bit wrong. So that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus was very much about the people and serving the people head on. Do you know, I'm a a product, if you like, of Alpha. It was through um, Alpha that I I realised that God was there waiting and I opened the door to him. And one of those questions that comes back an awful lot at Alpha is, what's the relevance of the Bible and God today? You know, we've moved on so much, haven't we? Of course we have. Um, and life's so different today to all those years ago. We've got cars, TVs, computers and so forth. But, um, but actually, I think when you drill down to, to, to people, people haven't changed at all. I think that... This reading in Matthew really shows um, that whilst we might be more clever, whilst we might have more things today, what's in our hearts and what we believe is still very, very relevant and the readings in the Bible is very, very relevant. We people, we're very naturally self-serving, we're self-centred. That's a natural thing, it's, it's innate if you like, it's, it's bred within us and like I say, that's exactly the same 
today as it was back then. Let's have a look and understand what it really, really means. First of all then, we have this mother's request. That was the title of the reading today. So the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and requests, in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. To sit on the right and the left, that's the two highest ranking positions in the kingdom possible. The one on the right is the second in command. The one on the left is the third in command. So she's asking that Jesus make her two sons the two highest ranking officials within the kingdom under Jesus. So why is she asking that? Everything that's happened up to that point, actually, she must have had some sense of the impact of that request. One reason is probably her relationship to Jesus. If you read on a little bit, particularly around the crucifixion, it seems that that she is the sister of Mary. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Therefore, she's Jesus' aunt, and James and John are Jesus' first cousins. So the closeness of their relationship may explain why she's come forward and she's asked this request of Jesus. So it's not uncommon for people to use their relatives or other relationships to achieve some greater position for themselves. That's, that's normal. There's a lot of truth in saying it's not what you know, it's who you know. We often find that positions are not filled with a person that's best qualified, but the person with the best connections. In this case, the mother of James and John is seeking to use her relationship, their relationship, to Jesus to gain that prominent position. So that's, that's just natural. That's just what kind of happens. She comes to Jesus kneeling down. And that's the same as we would with somebody in that higher prominent position, particularly kings, particularly in that day. Kings tended to have bigger egos, didn't they? And people soon learned that if you came and you lowered yourself, you knelt down and you manipulated that ego, you could quite often get the king to give you what you wanted. And that's true today as well. It's called buttering up. I wonder sometimes how we approach other people, how we might go to our boss for a raise, for example. It's easy to manipulate them a little bit, to feed them, to sort of put them up on a pedestal in the hope that we get what we want from them. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, I work in, in public services, and we, we had a, uh, a change of chief executive officer last, last year, actually. And it was, I, I was fascinated by the behaviour of some people around him, how it was like bees around a honeypot, how people were sort of trying to put themselves on a pedestal and trying to, to sort of butter up against him, because obviously there was going to be a lot of change with a new chief. So this is about her asking for her sons, but, but what's in it for her? And I think that's a natural instinct as well, that where the mother always wants to see their children be successful. Parents take great pride in their children, and particularly if they achieve something you know, that's, that's quite big, if they've got an important position. You quite often hear that, don't you? My son's this, my daughter's that. And it's fine for parents to take a certain amount of satisfaction in what their children achieve. But sometimes we can be proud of what our children achieve because it's a reflection of us and ourselves. So we have the opportunity to claim those bragging rights, if you like. And I think that's possibly what she's doing here. So what is the disciples' ambition here? And it's interesting that Jesus answered 
James and John and not to her directly. So we don't quite know whose idea it was for her to come in the way that she did, but it's clear that James and John, they're not innocent bystanders. They're very much a part of this. So Jesus' first response to them was to bring them all back to reality. And he says, do you not know what you are asking for? Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? So he questions them as to whether or not they realise that extremely high price that they have to pay. If we look at the, the two verses just before this in verse 18 and 19, Jesus has just told them about going to Jerusalem where he would suffer many things, be delivered to the chief priests, be condemned to death, delivered to the Gentiles and crucified. He's just said that. They will have to be able to drink the cup that Jesus is about to drink. But they answered very quickly, didn't they? They came back very, very quickly. So I don't think they really understood what was going to happen next and really what Jesus was saying. Let's look even a little bit further back. If we go back to Matthew chapter 18, at the very start of that chapter, Jesus has already put his disciples firmly in their place where they've been arguing about who's the greatest. They asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this probably happened just a, you know, a little period before, maybe just a few weeks before. So James and John wanted to know what was in it for them. And they used their mother and their relationship with Jesus as a means to get what they wanted. And all too often, we're no different at all. Even our prayers, we centre on what we want from God's glory and honour. Rather than what God wants for us. James and John claim that they were able to drink from the same cup. In fairness to John, only he and Peter actually followed Jesus after he was arrested. All of the other disciples, including James, ran away. Peter, of course, he did go on and he denied Jesus later. But John remained faithful. So maybe it was John, maybe... um, He was the only one that was prepared to drink from the same cup. So Jesus actually says, he tells them that you will drink from the cup. And they did. James drank it first. In Acts 12, it was Herod who had James killed because it pleased the Jews. John also drank from the cup. John was the only um, disciple, apostle to to live as an old man, albeit in exile. And in some ways, John may have drunk more deeply from that cup, the cup of suffering, than those that ultimately were put to death. He had to put up with the world the longest. Possibly John discovered it was easier to die for Christ than to live for him. Jesus tells them that to sit on my right and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. This goes to show that Jesus is completely submissive to the Father. And this is a reminder to us all that all we get from God is according to his grace. So verse 24, as the reading goes on, it tells us that all the other ten disciples, they heard what James and John and their mother had done, and they became really annoyed, really angry. Their anger and their annoyance was not from a sense of concern about the impact on Jesus and what Jesus would be facing. It was about the nature of James and John's request. 
And this is shown because they continue to bicker. And this bickering went right on, right up to the, to the Last Supper. They were annoyed that James and John were trying to gain that higher position over them because they hadn't thought about it first. So all of them were still infected by the world's values, it seems, at this point. So all of that time they'd spent with Jesus, all of that, that time they'd seen him in action, they were still affected by worldliness. So ask anybody on the street what success is, and I think you'll find that most people will turn around and tell you it's money, position, prestige, power, fame. And even the church can be caught up in that. And quite often we we think about the success of the church is how many people come through the door or how big the budget is or or what we do um, outside. But... None of those things are are bad, of course, in themselves, but when they become the goal, when they become the focus, the definition of success success or the the purpose of our lives, that's where we're stepping away from God, and that's where we're influenced by the world. John goes on to tell us in 1 John 2.16, the things of the world will pass away. Money, prestige, position and power and fame, they all come to an end. From an eternal point of view, they are a dead end. And yet, at this point, the disciples themselves didn't see that. They were still very much influenced by the world. They expected a reward. Maybe they even deserved, they thought they deserved the reward. They wanted to be great in God's kingdom, but they thought of it in terms of worldly standards. And Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them what it is to be truly great. So Jesus called them to himself and he said... You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. The rulers of the Gentiles would lord it over their subjects. Lord it over, what does that mean? It's a very strong term, but it very much gives that image, doesn't it, of people sort of looking down on people, those ruling people looking down on their subjects. Back in those times, back in biblical times, it was understood that most governments were actually a form of dictatorship. And we still have that to a certain degree today. We're not really sort of, um, we're lucky, aren't we, I suppose, in this country. But nevertheless, you know, a lot of um, people in those very prominent leadership positions, that same philosophy, if you like, still remains. And that's the same. It's the same in in government, in business, and even in churches. The drive within people is to control your own future. And that means being able to control those people around you as well. The corrupting influence of power is that given a little, the appetite is whetted and more power is sought. Give an inch, take a mile. Some of us may be thinking about people that we worked with and the way that they treat us. (laughs) I struggle with this at times quite often think who put them in charge and some of us may have to deal with some government bureaucrat who's who's long ago since forgotten that they're there to serve the people and instead thinks that they're there to command and order people about I I work like I say in local government and I work in an area that's particularly tricky because we are the ones that dish out bus lane tickets and parking tickets and it's hard being able to serve the people when You've got people that are very unhappy about having to pay the council money for something that they don't believe is wrong. 
And it's very easy to sort of shut down and just sort of forget that you're there to serve and, and just be focused on the law. In the world, there are those who gain power over others because they have a very prominent place in society or they have a very charismatic personality. And they can capture the fascination of people and then they can manipulate and exploit people through that. Famous people such as media personalities, actors, actresses, you know, they're up there, aren't they? They can gain such power because people hold them in awe. The whole Jimmy Savile thing and the fallout from that is just one of those most shocking things that springs to mind. Whilst it may be common practice for those who do not know the Lord to use their power in an oppressive way to push those around under them, Jesus tells us that that's not the way it should be for us as believers. And we hope that it doesn't happen in the church, but just look at the cloud around the Pope's visit to Ireland at the moment. And it's terrible, isn't it? When somebody in the church, when they come to power, whether that's through their position or their personality, but they view themselves as superior and they use other people for their own advantage. Jesus tells us that the path to greatness within his kingdom is different. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first shall be your slave. If you want to be great, you have to become humble, a selfless servant, and a true servant will sacrifice for the sake of others in the name of Christ. If you want to be first, then you have to go another step and become a slave. This was a position lower than a servant. A servant was free to go come and go as he pleased but a slave was owned by his master and he he could only go uh, go about his business and do what the master wanted the greatest in the kingdom is the one who is a slave the one who is sold out completely to Christ and his kingdom Paul often referred to himself like that he was a bond servant a slave of Christ He viewed himself as being owned by Jesus since he was bought with a price. Jesus' own precious blood. For Paul to live or die was for the Lord. The slave is unconcerned for his own life, his own glory or his own power. His only concern is of that of his master. This was his example of what it meant to be great in the kingdom. Of what it means to be a servant and a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus did not come to exercise his power over people, to make people serve him. He came to serve the people and pay the ransom price to redeem people. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we would live in happy circumstances. He died so that your bondage to sin could be broken, that you could be reconciled to God and ex- uh, escape his condemnation, and that you could have an eternal relationship with him. If that's the example set by Jesus, then that's the mark of our lives. That's what we should do. To be a Christian means to follow Christ, to be more Christ-like. So finally, the questions, the challenge really of this passage to us, is your concern of what people do for you or what you do for them? How much are you willing to sacrifice in the service of Christ? Is Jesus really your Lord or something that provides you with a platform for your own gain? The disciples continued to to argue and bicker about who was greatest until Jesus had been crucified. 
and was risen from the dead. And then with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they really began to live for Christ rather than for themselves. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is present within every true believer. So is the Holy Spirit alive in you? Or are you still seeking what you want, trying to make God fit in with your life? Are you living by world values or by God values? So let's just very quickly just pray for the Holy Spirit as we finish and just reflect on that. So dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we just ask and we pray that you allow us to to think about what you want in our lives. That we put you first and at the centre of everything that we do. We ask you to come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Amen.